You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Our scripture reading is from Psalm 34. A psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes his refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For to those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Amen. Amen. I think perhaps one of the greatest challenges we face today in our modern world is the challenge and the question of our identity. Who are we as people? Who are we as a culture? Who are we as individuals? We talk a lot about uh, identity. We have uh, identity politics. We experience identity theft. I mean, come on, even Jason Bourne has a movie about his identity. Yeah, as a, as a matter of fact, uh, just a few years ago, 2015, the New York Times ran an article and called that year, 2015, the year we obsessed over our identity. A year later, 2016, they ran another article called The End of Identity, and they said, basically, if you were a person outside our culture and you came into the U.S. today, you could conclude that we were in a state of moral panic over our identity, over who we are as individuals. Identity is a big deal, and I think we all know it, but what is it? What is identity? Well, basically, as far as I can tell, identity stands at the intersection of two questions centered around one word, and that word is the word self-worth. Two questions, what is myself, and second, where do I get my worth? Two questions around one word. Now look at the last verse of Psalm 34 here. It's self a prayer. Psalm 34 right here is going to give us a hint of what I hope to unpack today. Look at this verse. It says, the Lord redeems the soul of his servants. That's good news. You ought to say amen right there. If you get nothing else, you got that. This means that the God of the Bible is all about giving you, giving me a healthy soul, a healthy self, but in a way that you might not have seen coming. See, Morgan, I thought this series was about prayer. It's been a couple weeks on prayer. I saw the video about prayer, like the email about prayer. What's up with all this identity stuff? Well, the answer is, and I think the Bible says, identity has everything to do with prayer. 
The two are connected and linked. So we'll get to the prayer stuff. Just give me a chance first as we walk through Psalm 34, David's prayer for identity. I'm going to walk us through four thoughts today. Here we go. Number one, where we get our identity. We'll see why self-creation can't last. Third, where we can get an authentic identity. And finally, how we live in that identity. And if you say that sounds like a lot, it's because it is. So just say right now, say, help him, Lord. I I need a little more help than that today. (laughs) Say, help him, Lord. All right. And if at any point along the way you're struggling, just yell it out and you'll be good. All right, here we go. Number one, let's let's first begin uh, this by seeing where we get or tend to get our identities from. Who are you? Where do you get your worth? Now, people like, and I'll name drop a bit here, people like Francis Fukuyama, Kwame Apia, Charles Taylor in particular, have written a lot about how we give answers to those two questions. And basically, the collective argument goes like this. How you answer the questions, who am I, where do I get my worth, center around whether you answer them from either a traditional culture perspective or a modern culture perspective. So let's break down each. Let me try to show you what those mean. First of all, traditional culture perspective goes like this. We tell you who you are. We tell you who you are uh, for all of human history. Uh, Up until very recently, uh, your identity was more or less assigned to you by your culture, traditionally speaking. You were born into a particular family, a particular station in life, a particular culture. And if you were a male child... You would grow up and do what? Probably whatever your father did. If you're a female child, you would grow up and do what? Probably whatever your mother did. And your sense of self-worth came from fitting in well to a predetermined social structure. Your family, your faith, your nation, your community told you who you were. And of course, at points, this can be tremendously beneficial and helpful. For example, Ralph Ellison, you may know that name, 20th century African-American writer, he grappled with those questions as a person of color whose people and whose ethnic identity had been marginalized. And he wrote this series of stories with this wonderful fictional pastor. Now, I always love it when the pastor in the story is a good guy. I'm just saying it doesn't always happen. And you know this in movies and TV shows. But anyway, <clears throat> to the questions, who am I? Where does my worth come from? Ralph Ellison created this character, Reverend Hickman, and Reverend Hickman put it like this in a novel called Juneteenth, wrote this, we know who we are by the way we walk. We know who we are by the way we talk. We know who we are by the way we sing. We know who we are by the way we dance. We know who we are by the way we praise the Lord on high. Well, it's good stuff. He's giving though, if you'll notice, a traditional culture answer. When asked by his people, who am I? The Reverend Hickman basically is saying, that's the wrong question to ask. The right question to ask is not, who am I? But who are we? He's saying identity formation happens in the context of our community. You know who you are because we know who we are. The you, he's saying, comes from an us. But that, of course, is not at all like how most people in the West and the U.S. today conceive of identity formation. We are far less like Reverend Hickman. We are far more like Princess Elsa. Yes, that Elsa. 
And if you're here and you don't know who Princess Elsa is, it's probably because you are a single male. (laughs) No judgment. Let's just see what Elsa has to say. Elsa, of course, she is the protagonist from the Disney movie Frozen, a movie that our family has lived by the way, maybe yours has too. Uh, but and I love, I love the story. He's got this great, you know, Christ-like sacrificial bit in there. But the story at the end, of course, is beautiful. But it's, the story is all about someone letting go of traditional culture identity formation and embracing modern identity formation. And this shows up in this showstopper song right in the middle. Probably every you know female under the age of eighteen knows the words to by heart. The song's what. Let it go. Yeah. Elsa, you know, is supposed to be a princess. She's got this role given to her by her family and by her people. She doesn't want it. She's wrestling with it. And in the middle of the movie, then, she sings this. First verse is traditional identity formation. She says, don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know. In the chorus. But let it go, let it go, can't hold it back anymore. Let it go, let it go. Turn away and slam the door. She's saying, I'm going to dab on you haters. All right, that's what's sort of there. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. Now, someone first service said, you know, you can improve this sermon by actually singing the lyrics. I said, that ain't going to happen. All right, anyway. Second verse. Now she's, look at this. <laughs> Y'all get one of those. That was it. First verse. You get one. Get one. Second verse. Now, this is modern identity formation. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. And of course, you know she has really let it go when she throws off her old boring clothes and goes super glam, like right there in the middle of the movie. Now, that's modern identity formation. That's what we say. No right, no wrong. Well, rules for me, I'm free. So to the questions, who am I? Where do I get my worth? Modern identity formation answers in the words of Miley Cyrus. Your worth is based on how you feel about yourself. So traditional cultures tell you, We tell you who you are. Modern culture says only you can tell you, but the point is every culture has a value system that it uses to try to tell you who you are. And most of the time, those answers aren't ever given to you overtly. They're always assumed implicitly. They're smuggled in to songs, to slogans, to sayings, to commercials, and those all smuggle in what's called a heroic narrative inside each. The heroic narrative in traditional cultures is this, self-denial. You deny you for the sake of an us. But the heroic narrative in our modern culture is just the opposite. Not self-denial, but self-expression, self-promotion. Our heroic narrative sounds like this, YOLO. Sounds like this, you do you. That's modern identity formation. And right about now, you're thinking he is about to go back and reinforce traditional culture identity formation. If you're thinking that, you're dead wrong. Because nothing could be further than the truth, from the truth, than what you're going to hear in just a moment. But before I go there and show you why neither of those can last, because we live in a culture primarily, almost exclusively dominated by modern identity formation and expressive individualism, 
I want to take just a few moments here and offer a critique of it and show you number two. Now, why self-creation, modern identity formation, can't last. I'm going to move through these quickly. Let me give you five quick reasons why the modern approach to identity can't and won't last. First of all, modern identity formation is psychologically incoherent. Psychologically incoherent. Here's what I mean. If our approach to identity is doing this, we say, look deep within yourself and express without limit whatever is there, that's going to get really weird, if not really dangerous, really fast. Because we can't, as Christians, nor ought we to as a culture, on one hand say, no one can define you but you, then we cannot, if we say that, we can't turn around in the next breath to the white supremacist and say, you're wrong because we say so. Now, ethnic superiority is wrong. It's evil. My point is this. We have told that person all their lives to look within themselves, express themselves, don't listen to the outside, but now when they do that, now we object. doesn't make sense. Why should an individual listen to the collective? The point is, you don't really want someone living out every single thing they feel they are. That is a recipe for disaster. In the end, you do you doesn't really work. Second, modern identity formation is communally destabilizing. Communally destabilizing. A guy by the name of Charles Taylor is this British thinker, Catholic, I believe. He's written a ton about how expressive individualism, the promotion of self above everything, actually tears apart families, lives, and communities. He puts it like this. He says, quote, it's not just that people now sacrifice their love relationships and the care of their children to pursue their careers. Something like this has perhaps always existed. The point is that today, many people feel called to do this, feel they ought to do this, feel their lives would be somehow wasted or unfulfilled if they didn't do it. So for centuries, he's saying the heroic narrative was this. You don't abandon your family. You don't abandon your children. You just don't. Now, people have always done that. But he's saying we have never held up those people as folks we think everyone should be like. But he says now it's changed. Now the heroic narrative is this. My spouse, my children are holding me back. I have a responsibility to be me, for me to do me, to be fulfilled and not let them get in the way. Now we abandon our families and call it brave. We call it courageous to not let something like a marriage or children or, I don't know, human beings hold us back. That kind of thinking is devastating to families, communities. Third, modern identity formation is also personally limiting Here's why. In a culture where you are your own personal brand, you cannot receive criticism over anything without falling apart and being devastated. Now listen, I'm not talking about hearing from internet trolls who are very real. And by the way, if that's you today, just let it go. Right? I'm not talking about hate. That's, that's very real. I'm talking about disagreement or constructive criticism. Today, we don't just not like it. We retaliate against it. Uh, we hate it. We dig in bunkers around this thought. How dare you criticize me or my cultural idol I identify with? Oof. Because we think I am perfect just like I am. 
But that can't be true. That's not the real world. How can you ever grow or get better or improve or learn if you're perfect just like you are just now? Listen, that's not how the classroom works. Come on, teachers, right? That's not how sports work. Come on, coaches. That's not how, you you know, your workplace works. Come on, you know, bosses or managers, right? I mean, if no one can ever speak into your life from the outside and help you get better, how can you ever grow? Modern identity formation is personally limiting, but fourth, it's also relationally exclusive. Let me show you why. Francis Fukuyama, he's a Japanese-American thinker and political scientist. He wrote a book which heavily critiqued the idea of self-creation. He said this, it's a great quote. He says this, self-creation is the struggle to the death for pure prestige. Self-creation is the struggle to the death for pure prestige. Here's what I think he means. In a culture where the individual self is everything, then the winners are those who express themselves the most and the loudest and the best. This is why we're willing to do or say anything to be famous. Why? Because the ultimate uh, place to arrive is a place of pure prestige, not character, but just to be known. See, the ones who express themselves the most, who break the rules the most, are considered the winners. And of course, in any culture where there are winners, there are losers, those on whom we should look down. Today, now, we don't look down as much anymore on those crazy, secular, pagan, nonconformists. We look down on boring, regressive conformists. Here's the point. Both those perspectives are exclusive. Both those exclude one group or the other. Now we've just traded who's in and who's out. Still relationally exclusive. But fifth, maybe even most, it's philosophically inconsistent. It means you can't live it out. Have you ever noticed that some of the loudest voices in our culture that trumpet the modern self that say, you do you, no one can tell you who you are but you. They say, you don't need anybody but you. They, they do this in front of lots of people. They say it in a community, online, through tweets, before cameras, to an audience which still applauds them for thinking like they do. They're still acting communally. They're still acting relationally. They're still getting applause outside them from a group while they insist they don't need anyone. They've just exchanged cheerleaders from one value system to the other. In the end... Our modern identity formation, looking inside us, making up who we want to be, it just won't work. So what then? You're saying, what's our answer? Should we just go back to traditional identity formation? Not at all. Here's why. Traditional identity formation says, yes, you get your applause from an us. And while that sounds good and can be, we should also recognize the danger in that. Because what if what that culture says really is wrong? really does break people. Patriarchal culture says men are more important than women. White supremacist culture says one race is better than the other. On the other side of the world, traditional faith cultures can sometimes kill you. They do if you convert to another faith because you have failed to live out their heroic cultural narrative. You have chosen in those cases Jesus over family, Jesus over tribe, Jesus over culture and nation. Conversion to them looks like the individual choosing the self above the group. So, traditional identity formation, getting our applause only from a group, can't be the answer either. What can, thirdly, let's see, where can we then get an authentic self and identity? 
finally now to the Bible. All right, here we go. To the question, where does a person get his or her identity? Psalm 34 shows us the full picture of what each of these cultural narratives show us, which is this. Every person forms their identity around the source of their applause. You're going to form your identity around the source of your applause. Traditional culture says it comes outside you. Modern culture says it comes inside you. But Psalm 34 shows us a different source altogether. Let's see what David prays and sings here. I will bless the Lord at all times. Don't you love it? His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. See, he's acting as an individual and in a group at the same time. I sought the Lord and he answered me. Deliver me from all my fears. Let's focus in on verse 2 and two crucial words. David says this, my soul, it's the Hebrew word nefesh, for the self. My soul, myself will halal, that's to boast, glory in the Lord. He's saying myself will halal, that word means to shine. He's saying my soul, myself shines the clearest when it's in God. My nefesh halals in Yahweh, myself is its best self. When it's rooted in the person and the character and the nature of God, you think, well, man, how could David write something like this? I mean, think about it. After all, he is from a traditional, patriarchal, warrior culture. But David was different. He was born likely out of wedlock into a broken family structure. And yes, while he was a warrior without equal, David also had a lot of feelings a lot of it down for us. He felt a lot of stuff. And sometimes David wasn't even sure of who David was. David struggled to form an identity. Think about it. When he looked outward for a while, he was doing good, right? As a young man, you may know his story. He was anointed to be the next king after that guy, Saul. And David went out and fulfilled his culture's heroic narrative. He killed Goliath. Thunderous applause. Saul has slain his thousands. Oh, but David has what? Slain his tens of thousands. And yet here, Psalm 34, he wasn't king yet. Saul was threatened by all that applause for David. And so Saul threatened David. David's got to go on the run. And now the external applause for David, it all fades and vanishes. There was no one in his life here at this point to approve him externally any longer. And so David goes into hiding. And what he does in hiding, we know from the superscription that you heard read at the top of the psalm, which references a story in 1 Samuel 21, which is this. David goes into hiding. He becomes desperate. No more external applause. All his likes on social media have disappeared. Jimmy Fallon, you know, he's not calling him on the talk show anymore. So he begins to look inside himself for an identity now. He goes and he finds a trophy from his past. You know, like the the statue on the mantle or the, the ring from the tournament. He picks up the sword of Goliath. The big trophy, and like a dog who's killed a bird and bringing it to the owner, David goes before the Philistine king Abimelech and says, approve me, receive me, love me, look at how great I am. Will you bring me in? But the king turns on him, kicks him out, and David feigns insanity in a last-ditch effort for approval and acceptance. Who is David here in Psalm 34? Is he the king? That's not working out for him. Is he the mighty warrior? 
the trophy case didn't fill him like it used to. Is he just now the faker, the one who pretends to be somebody he's not to get approval from others? Hmm. Can you see here, David is in a downward spiral search for an authentic identity. His traditional culture way has failed him. Our modern inward approach has failed him. In a way, David right here is where we are in a state of moral panic. You know why? Here's why. It's because having to create self-identity is incredibly anxiety-producing. Say it again. Having to self-create is incredibly anxiety-producing. It just is. Think about a mental illness, depression. They've, they've always been with us. Those things are very real. But do you know what else is real? Today, it's this skyrocketing rate of anxiety, not just in America in general, but in young people and teens and college students, anyone in particular, who feels like they have to self-create out of nothing, ex nihilo as the phrase goes. Listen, that is so much pressure for young people. That is so much pressure for our teens. There has never been another culture in the history of the world that has put so much pressure on its young people to do something so important with so few resources. We need, they need, we all need an authentic identity. One that lasts, that's built around the right thing, the right voice. One that makes the most important thing the most important thing. And I want you to know right here, that is what David got. And what he gets here... It breaks him through. He says, myself will glory, not on the outside, not on the inside, but in who God is and what he says about me. The person of the one true God defines me. My culture can't define me. That applause is going to come and go. I can't define me. I don't even know where to begin. Only God can define me. And right now, That is both incredibly encouraging and slightly terrifying. (laughs) Because while David shows us the way, he also brings up a challenge, which is this. How can any of us come to know God? How can we come to God if God is perfect and we're not? If God is flawless and we're not? If God is infinitely greater than who we are, how can we get infinite applause from someone who's infinitely greater. Think about it. I mean, major league athletes, baseball players, they don't come and applaud middle school games. Middle schoolers go and applaud the big league games. Why? Because the lesser praises the greater. But here, David's saying, I, the lesser, can get infinite applause from someone who's infinitely greater. How could he do this? I don't know exactly how David got it, but I do know how you can I can, we can. Because years later, there was another David who came, another greater David, a greater shepherd king who came into the world. His name was Jesus. And let me tell you, Jesus didn't just love you from a distance, Bette Miller. He didn't just love you in word only. He died for you. He lived for you rose for you. At his baptism, he got the voice of his heavenly father saying, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased so that that voice could pass to us. We could get a whole new self. And hear me, hear me, that approach, that whole new approach, it is, it is traditional in a sense because it comes from outside us. The voice of God comes from outside us. Oh, but it's non-traditional because the voice of God doesn't approve us based on our ability to keep his heroic narrative. 
It's modern, yes, in a way, because it is about an individual who goes against the grain of society, who expresses himself, who kicks down the door of the status quo. But it's not modern because that individual is Jesus and not you and not me. This is an off-the-map source of identity and the self based upon the gift of loving grace of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. It comes from outside you, which you have to have. But it takes up residence on the inside. It begins to speak to you, freeing you from every other voice that wants to enslave you. The Apostle Paul experienced this. You should know this. The Apostle Paul experienced this. Look what Paul wrote years later after David about this whole new gospel identity. 1 Corinthians 4. Paul writes, I care very little if I am judged by you. Again, he's sort of Tupac before Tupac, right? I mean, I don't care if I'm judged by any human court. But I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear. But that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. He's saying, I don't care what you think about me. That sounds pretty modern. But then he says, I don't care what I think about me. That sounds pretty traditional. But it's neither. He's saying my approval now, now, now comes from Jesus Christ, which is why Paul could also write 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, right, in God, as David said, if I'm in Christ, Paul says, you're now a what? A new creation, not an old creation, not a self-creation, but a new creation with a new identity, Galatians 2, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loved me and gave himself for me. Now listen, this doesn't mean that other parts of your identity aren't good or even very good. Oh, when God creates humans and gives them their gender, that was part of the very good God spoke. Part of the very good. Listen, gender roles can be cultural, but gender's not. It's given by God. Your ethnicity is God-given. It'll last into eternity. Think about it. When Jesus Christ was resurrected, he didn't come back, sorry, Salvador Dali, uh, as a genderless ghost. Jesus was still male. He's still Jewish. He still retains those God-given identity markers. And so today, this isn't about not talking about those things because talking about race and gender and our unique differences, that's really important. We have to talk about the ways where perhaps those God-given identity markers aren't honored and celebrated like they should be and then turn around and do that for one another. Oh, nor is this about saying to people who have been marginalized, get over it, move past it. That's not that. What this is about is finding all that ultimate identity marker which comes in fills all those spaces makes them all the better makes them like what they were supposed to be all along to shine out all the clearer because now 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 those things are not rooted in the self which will fade but in the divine self capital s the one true god who made you on purpose with a purpose and so david finds that voice And that's why he can say that myself shines the clearest, not when my culture tells me I'm great, because let's face it, that's going to come and that's going to go. And nor is he saying we're going to do the best when we tell ourselves how great we are. Listen, that, hear me, is only a gospel for the strong, for the successful, and for the self-made. That is not a gospel for the weak and the broken. How could they ever say that about themselves? Therefore, any gospel that isn't good news for the poor isn't good news for the world. David's saying, no, 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 no. Myself shines the clearest 
when it's in God and rooted in his absolute love for me. Say, all right, I'd like me some of that. How do I want to do that? How then? How can we bring that up and live that out? How can we live out not self-creation, but the new creation created to be like him in true righteousness and holiness, Paul writes. Number four, let's see that. How can we live it out? Here's the answer. You probably saw it coming. (laughs) We pray it. There's this little sermon series about prayer we have going on this month, in case you hadn't noticed. We pray it. We pray our new identity. That means you have to turn up the volume on that same voice that Jesus got. Some of you may be saying, Morgan, I've heard something like this before. It hasn't really worked for me. Some of you may be saying, the voice of God is nice. But what good is it if men won't notice me? What good is the voice of God if, if women won't notice me? What good is the voice of God if my boss won't notice me? What you're saying, if that's you, is this. It's that there are competing voices, competing radio stations in your life. And you've got the volume on whatever voice the world is telling you. And you've got that one turned all the way up. The voice of God turned down. What's your strategy for turning up the right voice and tuning out the wrong one? David shows us we have to pray our identity. Myself makes its boast. It shines when it's in who God is. And who is he? Oh, we've seen. If you are in Christ... He is the one who approves you, who gives you that applause you're looking for. Let me tell you, this shows us we pray our identity, which looks like this. It means every day you take up the word of God and you say this, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am a new creation. I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. I am God's special treasure. He holds my tears in his bottle and one day he will return for me. Hell cannot keep me from him. Death can only upgrade me and one day I will be utterly transformed into everything he has ever had in his heart for me. See, we, 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 we pray our identities. David experienced it. Paul experienced it. You can too. I'd rather like the voice of Lauren Daigle. She sings it like this. Great song. The only thing that matters now is everything you think of me. She's channeling Paul. In you I find my worth. In you I find my identity. I believe what you say of me. My prayer today is that we would pray and believe that. Amen. I hope you can say amen to that. We're going to go to the Father here and ask him for his grace. Lord, we come to you and we thank you for saying what you say about us. Lord, we can shine the most, be the most stable and secure by listening to the right voice. Not our cultures, not ourselves your voice that comes through identification with Jesus Lord I'm praying today we would all receive this perhaps in a fresh way for those of us struggling with some form of our identity above and beyond we would get this voice that blows out all the hurt and the pain And gives us a whole new way of being. Church, if you're here today and you're saying, I'm struggling with some identity thing. Maybe it's your job. 
who you are at work, what you're trying to do. Role in your family, something like that. It's all important. That's you. Would you just raise your hand struggling somehow? I want to pray for you. Lord, I'm praying for these and for all of us, really. We would, we would, we would do what David did. When the voice outside failed him, when the voice inside failed him, he got yours. I'm praying for these. They would do the same. This week, we would pray our identity. In Jesus' name, pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Pastor Corey, would you go? Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.